Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Our reading today is from Exodus 21, verses 1 to 36. These are the laws you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone, but if he has a wife then he come, then when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door of the doorpost or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. If people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or with their fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held liable if the other can get up and walk around outside with a staff. However, the guilty party must pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. 
and an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. If a bull gores a man or a woman a woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however, the bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it penned up and it kills a man or woman, the bull is to be stoned and its owner is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave, and the bull is to be stoned to death. If anyone uncovers a pit or digs one and fails to cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the one who opened the pit must pay the owner for the loss and take the dead animal in exchange. If anyone's bull injures someone else's bull and it dies, the two parties are to sell the one sell the live one and divide both the money and the dead animal equally. However, if it was known that the bull had the habit of goring, yet the owner did not keep it penned up, the owner must pay animal for animal and take the dead animal in exchange. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much for that um, super long reading. Um, Miscellaneous laws, hey, that's the uh, the topic for today. But I hope to show you by the end of this that they're not actually miscellaneous at all. They actually show us the heart of God. Um, and that's uh, what we're going to see when we look more closely. What I put up um, in front of you here is actually a, um, a catechism, not one that we're going to say today, but it's a catechism which I found in my travels through the 19th century slave trade literature, which I've been reviewing. Uh, I'm going to read some of these lines of the Catechism to you, and you can use your uh, biblical theology lenses to work out whether you think that this is any good. Who were the happiest men that ever lived? The patriarchs. Why? Because they didn't have to work. Why were not Methuselah, Enoch, and Noah patriarchs? Because they didn't hold slaves. Well, how do you know that Abraham's servants were slaves? Because he whipped Hagar. How do you know that? Because she ran away. How do you know that it is right to flog slaves? Because God sent Hagar back. A little bit later. Were the Israelites allowed to hold slaves? Yes. Whom might they hold? The heathen round about. How long? Forever. Whom else might hold them? Their children after them. Who are those children? Southern slaveholders. How does that appear? Well, the Jews were cut off and the Gentiles grafted in in their place. But are not the slaves Gentiles too? Yes, but they're heathen. Who were the heathen whom the Jews might hold? The Canaanites. How does that make it right to hold Negroes then? Oh, because they come from Ham. Now, I don't know how convinced you are by this. Um, it's from the Wisconsin Freeman in 1847. Uh, it's confronting, isn't it, to see the Old Testament abused in this way. But it struck me recently as I was listening to a YouTube debate between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson that exactly the same logic has come back now in how people read the Old Testament. Sam Harris uses very similar logic 
not to justify slavery, but to show that the Bible is immoral because it justifies slavery. And just as the biblical illiteracy in 1847 meant that something like that could be published with a straight face, so the biblical illiteracy of our time means that someone can go onto YouTube, get millions of views, making the claim that the Old Testament is in favour of the needless immiseration of human beings. Now, friends, it's because we haven't done our job as a church of teaching people to read the Bible well. And so I want to um, start today by pushing back against that illiteracy um, by um, looking in a, a, a little bit of a mini-series in the miscellaneous laws of Exodus, because actually I don't think they are miscellaneous. I think they actually show us the heart of God. So we've got this chapter 21. Moses has just uh, rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and is bringing them into a new land where they will be free to worship. And they stop up along the way in Sinai to receive Torah, right? instruction, how to be the people that they are, the people of God living in freedom to worship him. And there's two types of Torah that they're given. Moses gives them the Ten Commandments, the uh, laying down the law, the absolute principles for living in the land. But then in chapter 21, we see something slightly different. Chapter 21, verse 1, these are the rules, the mishpat, that you shall set before them. Um, a couple of examples in mishpat, I'll put them up on the screen for you. If people are fighting and they hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, well, here's how you're to work out compensation with that family. Or what about this one? Um, when a man leaves a pit uncovered and he's negligent and someone falls in, here's the compensation that you're to use to work it out. Or here, if, if a man seduces a virgin, here's how he has to provide for her needs after, he, um, uh, after he's seduced that virgin. Now, it's uh, just to point out the obvious, Moses isn't recommending that you go and do any of these things, right? So he's not saying, hey, look, get into a fight, hit a pregnant lady, leave a pit uncovered or seduce a virgin. These are not like the Ten Commandments. They're not prescriptive ideals. He's saying here is a situation, an unideal situation, and here's how we might do justice or point towards justice out of that situation. They're not meant to describe the ideal. They're meant to point towards a recovery of justice from that imperfect situation. How do I know that? Well, you can look at Matthew 19 for yourself. And that's actually how Jesus reads the commands about the judgments, the mishpat about divorce here. So it's really important for us to teach people that a judgment here, a mishpat, doesn't prescribe the ideal. It describes a situation. We need to distinguish between that situation and the destination of justice that it points to, the situation versus the destination. And I actually really love this about the law of Moses. I love that he's really practical, nitty-gritty, realistic. He's not putting forward an unrealistic ideal. He's dealing with a mess of real life like we often do. So often our ethical dilemmas happen in the mess of life where there's no perfect way out. So what does he say about slavery in this section? Well, it's a bit complicated, but I'm going to focus on this chapter 21. Um, in the debate I saw between Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris says at one point, you know, I wish that Moses had said, thou shalt not own slaves. In fact, if I was writing the Ten Commandments, it would be right up there. Well, Moses doesn't ever say that. But in the next chapter, he does say this. Right? This is one chapter after the Ten Commandments. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death. 
whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Now, let's be very clear. To kidnap or to steal someone here or to kidnap someone here describes the practice throughout history, continues today, of using force to go and take children and adults, take them far away from their families, take them from their homes and sell them in slave markets. It's the same idea picked up in 1 Timothy 1.10, where slave traders are condemned by the Apostle Paul. He's getting that from Moses. And here, the penalty, notice this, the penalty is reasonably severe, right? Death. Now, death will ruin your whole day, right? It is the most serious penalty that Moses hands down. He doesn't give it out willy-nilly. It's reserved for the worst of the worst. And that's what he's saying is going on here. If you kidnap a person into slave trade, you, and not just you, anyone in possession of that slave is subject to death. Now, the logistics people amongst you, the operations people amongst you might be wondering, how are they going to get their slaves if the slave trade is penalised on pain of death? Right, well, we need a little bit of context here to work out what's going on. There's two types of slavery which are talked about in the law of Moses. The kidnappy type of slavery like this, the death penalty slavery, and then another type which is the bankruptcy slavery. Okay, so kidnappy slavery is out. You can't do that. You get death if you do that. So the only type of slavery that is allowed within Israel is the debt slavery, the bankruptcy slavery. And it's it's like this. You run into some financial trouble, right? You've already sold the farm. You've got no assets to pay off your debt. All you have left are two options. Die in the desert, you and your family starve to death, or you sell the one thing that you have left, which is your labor, your time and your energy. Uh, you become someone, part of someone else's family business for a limited time in order to sell off uh, your labor to pay for your debt. Now, I want to see a show of hands. Who here has a mortgage or a permanent employment contract of longer than one day. Anyone here? Yeah, you're slaves, right? Now, they called you slaves uh, because they hadn't invented mortgages or um, internships or any of those other modern kind of inventions that we use. But it's this, that's what they would call you. They would call you a slave. Now, keep in mind that if you're a slave in this system, you were part of the household, Right? We, we think we're very civilized because we economically exploit people from other countries in factories on the other side of the world. That makes us morally superior to the ancient world. Whereas here, they actually, the slaves would be part of the family, working alongside daughters and sons and parents in the family business. LinkedIn hadn't been invented. So remember, the options are work for someone else's family business or starve to death in the desert. So this bankruptcy situation is really your only option. Uh, now, no doubt it was open to abuse. I'm not at all trying to paint a uh, rose-coloured, tinted version of the ancient world. It was probably brutal, open to abuse, and sometimes I really wish Moses had abolished all these forms of forced labour, and he doesn't do that. But he abolishes the kidnappy slaves, he makes transitional arrangements for the bankruptcy slaves, and he puts a massive asterisk under that one. All right, so the only type of slavery is the... Um, for Israelites is the kidnapping slave, is the <laughs> debt slavery. He puts a massive asterisk, and it's this. Slaves have rights. Just think about that for a second. The slaves get rights, which in the ancient world made as much sense as having like a double bacon vegan cheeseburger for lunch, right? It's a contradiction in terms. Slaves don't have rights, Moses. What are you doing? Don't you understand what that word means? 
right? Uh, their property. That's the whole point of a slave is that they are, you're owned by someone else. And yet Moses says you might work for someone else, but you still have rights and you still have dignity. Check this one out. This might seem brutal to us because we live in a, in a different world. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. So the master owns your time and your labor, but they don't own your body. In fact, if you lose even a tooth, it goes on the next verse, you get to walk free. Uh, There's other uh, provisions for the slave's rights which are equally startling, right? They can bring cases against their masters, legal lawsuits against their masters for mistreatment. Again, that's not how it works in slavery. Uh, They had a right to a religious life. They maintained the connection with their family. They got a day off for the Sabbath. And here's here's the really weird one. Israelites' towns were commanded to give refuge to runaway slaves, which again is the opposite of how any sane slave-owning society would work it. If if Israel is commanded to protect runaway slaves, that means you'd have to treat the slaves well or they'd run away. That's not how it's meant to work. Why does Israel have such backwards slaves laws? Well, it's because of who they are. They're runaway slaves. Slaves have been brought out by the great emancipator, Moses, into the land of freedom. Now, Christians in the northern states in the 19th century dared their slave-owning southern friends to keep the whole law of Moses, right? You think Moses is in favour of slavery? Well, why don't you keep all these laws? To which the southerners said, well, that would be ridiculous. If people can't be abducted and made into slaves, if debt slaves are released after seven years, if surrounding towns have an obligation to protect runaway slaves and the slaves have a right not to be abused or mistreated, the whole system will collapse, to which I think Moses would say, yeah, that's sort of what I had in mind. Moses does something incredible. He begins a takedown of one of the most persistent and insidious institutions across all cultures, all times, all places in human history. God's laws show the way towards this total abolition. They don't quite get there, but they show the destination. And they make crystal clear that you can buy my time, you can buy my labour, but you can never own me. Uh, There's an Akkadian proverb that I think of here, which uh, the Akkadian was a different civilization. They had a proverb which says, man is the shadow of a god and a slave is the shadow of a man. In other words, you slaves, you're less. You're less human and you're born to be slaves. To which Moses, to which God says, rubbish. Whoever you are, whatever's brought you to this circumstance, whatever economic distress you're in, Circumstances have made you into a slave, but you are no less human. You have no less rights, no less dignity, no less an image of God. And that's why that destination uh, in the law of Moses, that view of humanity and view of slaves, is why Jewish and Christian organizations through history have worked to free slaves. I read this really moving story about a lady called Gary. I want to read it to you now. I saw an interview with her, actually. Uh, Gary uh, is a mum, and like all mums, her children are her absolute world. She says this, I'm not so worried about my future, but my children are my sole concern. And so to help uh, provide for them, she responded to a normal-looking job ad uh, to work at a brick factory. Seemed normal? That's actually a tactic slave owners today use to trap women and children under massive debts 
that will become impossible to repay. She says, there was no one to protect us. I used to wonder if someone would rescue us from him. I prayed a lot. You see, even when Gary paid down her debt and tried to leave to find a safer job, her boss wouldn't let her go. He even attacked her children. My children rushed to me crying, she says. They said, he hit us because you wouldn't work for him. When she confronted her uh, abuser, he hit her with a log. But actually attacking her children was what pushed Gary to action. And she reached out uh, to an uh, organisation called International Justice Mission, a group of Christians who work to free slaves. Justice is on our side, she said. And so uh, in freedom, I am happy and at peace. I was challenged as I was reading about this, um, that there are more slaves in the world today than when Moses was around. Millions, millions of people living in dehumanising oppression. And actually a quarter of them are children, which is just horrific to think about. Uh, according to many Christian organisations, the modern-day slave trade is actually second only to the drug trade in terms of the amount of money which is caught up in this illegal activity. $150 billion a year is the figure that I've seen. And what makes my stomach turn is most of this money comes from wealthy countries like ours. Right? Australians paying for sex slaves over the internet in other countries, that sort of thing. The Israelites were brought out of slavery in Egypt to a new life and given this window into the heart of God in these rules. Now, this law is not to us, but it reveals the same heart of God. As Christians, we've been brought out of slavery, not to Pharaoh, but slavery to sin. We've been called to live a new life and embody in our community and in our lives that heart of God. And these miscellaneous laws, they're not written to us, but they do reveal the priority that God puts on humans, on life, on freedom. And it's the same God we meet embodied in Jesus, the one who proclaims freedom to the captives. So if we're following Jesus, and I take it we are, then we're following the one who embodies all the principles this law points us to. And friends, I think we just need to oppose this evil however we can, uh, whether it's avoiding products like palm oil, which are typically produced using slave labour, or funding uh, IJM's lawyers uh, in the Philippines, or for pushing, frankly, for better policies and policing of Australians sending their money to the Philippines for exploitation, whatever it is, we need to be a people who embody these principles. Should I pray that we can do that and that we can hear the word of uh, the Lord in this passage? Our Father, thank you so much that you see what happens in this world. You are not blind to the realities. Thank you that you speak into the mess of real situations, but you point us to a destination which is far from it, a destination where there is freedom for the captives and there is safety and peace for the oppressed. Thank you that we have met that new reality in Jesus and I pray that we would embody that in our own actions, in our communities. And one day, Lord, we pray that it would be a reality all over this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.